Are we still running the pre-service video? Are we still running the pre-service video? Greetings, Cypress Bible Church. We are so excited that you were able to join us this morning to worship the living God. Uh, Our goal is to to use this time that we are quarantined uh, to continue to press on, to to not withdraw, but to draw closer to God. And so uh, we want you to join us this morning in, in worship. Uh, and we want to encourage you that, that even beyond Sunday mornings, we want to, to continue to press in, to draw closer to God, uh, and also to, to look at the opportunities that we've been presented with. Uh, the scripture encourages us in Ephesians uh, chapter 5 to be imitators of God, to walk in love, uh, and to, to not dwell in darkness. It says in verse 13 that everything exposed by the light is visible. For what makes everything visible is the light. Therefore, he said, get up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Pay attention, pay careful attention then on how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, redeeming the time. And so we want to, as a church, we want to redeem this time. We don't want to withdraw. Uh, We want to press in. And, and draw closer to God, but also look at the opportunities that have been made available to us because of, of this quarantine, because of the coronavirus. Uh, people right now are, are, are longing for hope, and we have the hope of Jesus Christ within us. Uh, so we've got several opportunities, one both to, to grow in intimacy with God and, and fellowship with one another, and also think about how, how do we reach our neighbors and our, our, our family members, and those are hurting at this time. And so we want everybody to be involved in a small group. Uh, we've been doing these online, uh, and they've been going really well, but many of you maybe are not part of a small group yet. So on our virtual programming on our website, you will see a, a link that will tie you, uh, allow you to sign up for a small group. Uh, it, again, it's all online, so we're not gathering together uh, physically, but we can still gather together. So we would encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, sign up for that, and we can connect you with a, a small group. Uh, the other opportunity we have is Bless Every Home. So Bless Every Home uh, is you sign up for it, make CBC your home church. And as a church, we'll be able to look at and evaluate all the communities that we're impacting by simply praying for our neighbors. And so Bless Every Home will send you a a group of people in your neighborhood that you can begin to pray for uh, on a regular basis. You can sign up for daily uh, or whatever schedule that you want, once a week. Uh, But we need you to sign up. So we, 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 it's called being a light. Uh, 
And so when you sign up, you become enlightened. So right now we want, our, our encouragement is that everybody in our church would sign up to be a light in their community. Um, so we would encourage you to be a part of these, both of these uh, small groups and Bless Every Home. And the other opportunities we have, you'll see on the virtual programming page again on the website. Uh, get involved and, and press forward. Redeem the time. May God bless you as we enter into a time of worship. God bless. Last Sunday, we celebrated the resurrection. But the truth is, we do that every day, every week. Uh, The fact that uh, Jesus died, was buried, and rose again is central to all that we believe and who we are. So we celebrate that again today. The scripture says that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ and that the grace of God has appeared to all men. So let's celebrate the grace of God that is ours through Christ this morning. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty, it's so much stronger. The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless? Awe and wonder, the King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my
is the King who conquered the grave, and worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And worthy is the King who conquers the grave, and worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And worthy is the King who conquers the grave.
I needed rescue. I needed rescue. My chains were heavy. The chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. Now you call me a citizen of heaven. service we typically give our financial gifts to the Lord and if you are a follower of Jesus who is part of this ministry then uh, I encourage you to take this time to uh, text to give or to give online or to send by mail in support of the spread of the gospel I invite you to uh, join me as I pray on behalf of all of us our great God this is a glorious day and every day is glorious because you are our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer. There is none like you. You never promise what you will not keep. You never fail. And we know that all your people, all those redeemed, saved by the precious blood of Jesus you will bring into glory but Lord we have sinned we failed we've doubted even this week we've not been who we are in Christ we've loved the world we've ignored your word we've been absorbed in our own lives and forgotten you at times. Forgive us by your grace and mercy because all of our hope is in you. Give us peace and boldness through the precious Son who gave his life in exchange for ours and we say hallelujah, what a Savior. Lord, right now we want to pray for those who are on the front lines in this extraordinary healthcare crisis or nurses and doctors and grocery self-stockers and clerks and police officers and government leaders and the list is longer than that but you know each one and Lord may they look to you for strength for direction for wisdom for peace and for those who are grieving what they have lost or what they are losing or what they are fearing 
Lord, give them overflowing comfort in Christ Jesus. And now, Lord, we pray that the good news of your salvation will spread through all the earth, that there would be a gospel pandemic in this city. That in this time of physical distancing, limited travel, virtual meetings, and live-streamed worship, that the message of Jesus would transform lives for eternity. Use these gifts we give to you to accomplish this work around the gold. Bless Cypress Bible Church and every church that proclaims the gospel of Jesus. Use our brother Brian to speak your word today. May your spirit give your people encouragement and conviction and equip them and bless them through the ministry of your word today. Make us as your people now ready to receive that word. May it change us. Because what good is hearing it unless it does that? Wash us, shape us, refine us, shatter our misconceptions of you. Reconstruct our values, make us different, make us more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. sing together. And I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Cause Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine Sin had left a crimson stain, he 
washed it white as snow Sin had left Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow He washed it white as snow He washed it white as snow Lord, we praise you for your amazing grace We lift up your holy name this morning We praise the one who paid our debt We sing this together Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. We praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Sing it one more time. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. We praise the name of Jesus. Amen. To share the word of God with you this morning and a privilege to point our eyes to Jesus himself. Um, this whole message will be an introduction to the Lord's table and so I invite you to have your, the elements prepared to take communion with us uh, as we complete our, uh, our message in the word of God. We'll go right into our time of sharing communion together. Max Lucado tells a story he heard from a pastor in Brazil. In a dusty little village, there lived a single mom. Her name was Maria, with her teenage daughter, Cristina. They lived miles from the big city of Rio, in a small, dusty little town. Maria was a striking-looking woman. She had also an independent streak about her. Because of her beauty, there were many suitors who came once her husband left her. But that independent streak caused her to turn down every one of her suitors. And so she spent the rest of her time raising her teenage daughter, Christina, alone. As things would have it, Christina shared both her mother's beauty as well as uh, her free spirit. She talked often about leaving the 
the small village. It was too small, too confining, too constraining for her. She wanted to go, as she talked often, to the, to the big city lights of Rio. Maria, her mother, would say, don't you do that, don't you do that. We have no family there, no connections, nobody. Don't you go there. Maria knew the kind of place she might end up going. She knew that Christina's beauty would draw the wrong kind of attention. Well, days passed, weeks. One morning, Maria woke up to find Christina's room empty. She knew exactly what she needed to do. She gathered what money she could and some clothing and headed to the bus station. Before she boarded that bus, she went into one of those picture booths and took a bunch of photos, as many as she could, and she stuffed those photos into her bag and headed off uh, to Rio on that long bus trip. When she got to Rio, she searched all the parts of town where she thought Christina might end up. I can tell you those were not the, the best parts of town. Eventually, both her money and the photos ran out. And with her shoulders slumping and her spirits sagging, she got onto that bus and took the long trip home alone. Sometime later, back in Rio, Christina descended the rickety steps of a seedy-looking hotel. The days had not been kind to her. Her countenance showed it. The, the free spirit was gone from her eyes. She was about to walk across the lobby and out into the streets for another day when something caught her eye across that lobby. It was a picture, a photo. In fact, it, it was a face. She went over and picked it up. It was thumbtacked to a, a post there with a, with a rusty thumbtack. She looked at the face of her mother. She turned it over and read, Christina, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, Come home. She looked at that face of her mother again and read, No matter what you have done, no matter what you've become, come home. Who wouldn't come home to a mom like that? I suspect that I'm speaking with some people who need to come home today. Last week, you gladly celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. This week, you've glumly survived the routine, the quarantine. Yes, in our minds, we know that Jesus is alive, but in our hearts, we're not experiencing life. We, too, vividly recall a failed past to sense the forcible presence of Jesus in our lives. Perhaps we feel like we've fallen too far and too often to ever be free. Others have meandered off the path without really meaning to. Perhaps some of us smile on the outside, but on the inside there is a yawning emptiness for true life and communion with Jesus. We think the Lord would never really want us back after what we've done. 
perhaps after what we failed to do. When we become like that, we are spiritually isolating. When we become like that, we need to see a photo of Jesus, a picture of his penetrating face, his countenance, his gaze, calling us back home. A compelling invitation on the back of that photo. Lucky for us, in the book of John, we find such a photo. In John chapter 21, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn there. We see a picture of that tender countenance of Jesus, that penetrating gaze calling us back to where we belong. In this text, if we were to take a drone and fly it over the Lake of Galilee, we would see a clump of men, a huddle of guys beside the lake, six of them to be exact. A little distance away, a tough, burly guy. He's not just practicing social distancing. He appears to be practicing spiritual distancing. Take your camera and focus in on his face. It seems that there's a frustration there. Can you see the set of his jaw, the purse of his lips? Do you hear him grunt every time as he tries to skip rocks on the Lake of Galilee? Not very successful at skipping those rocks. One, two, three. Three every time. Finally, frustrated, he blurts out, I'm going fishing. As if it's a good break in the boredom, the other guys say, we're joining in, we're coming with you. And so a boat goes out into the fog in the, in the, or out into the night on the water. It appears that fishing fits these men like a glove. And it's night, the best time for fishing. And it's dark. John, our author, likes to contrast light and darkness. After some long, pointless hours on the water, the mists of early dawn set in, and a shadowy figure calls out through the fog with a question that grammatically demands a negative reply. You boys didn't catch anything, did ya? We can guess, although we don't know for sure who it was that yowled back, Nope! Now stop the video. Freeze the frame. Who is that man in that boat? And who is that stranger on shore? That man in the swaying boat is Peter. Peter the braggart. Peter the boaster. Peter the cocksure. Peter the self-proclaimed defender, protector of the Lord Jesus. Peter who imagined himself to be the last standing loyalist who would defend Jesus if he were threatened. Peter the slumberer in the garden while Jesus needed companionship and support the most. Peter the sleeper. Peter the fleeing one, hightailing it away from Jesus when he was arrested. Let's give him credit, though. Peter the following one who could not stay away. Peter the fearful, the liar, the denier. Peter the cock-reminded guilty sinner caught in the act standing ashamed under the penetrating gaze of Jesus there in the courtyard. Peter, the one who went out into the darkness and wept uncontrollably with bitter tears. Peter, the failure. That man is Peter, 
And Peter is us. Stranger on the beach, <laughs> that's the risen Lord Jesus Christ. What a contrast. What does he long to do with Peter? And what does Jesus want to do with people like us? Look at with me at John chapter 21, and let's be stopped in our tracks with a multifaceted picture and photo of Jesus. Let's study that photo to see his intentions and his interactions with Peter when he restores a fallen disciple. Let's marvel at how he wants and how he works, how he longs and labors to bring us home we've gone, when we've gone astray. We've already looked and skimmed through the first part, uh, much of the first 14 verses. Let's unpause the film and see how it plays out. Our camera last zoomed in on Peter in the boat. He still seems inwardly stung with his humiliating denials of Jesus. His, he still seems uh, stymied now by a futile all-nighter at sea. The mysterious beachcomber calls out a an awkward, stupendous kind of suggestion to professional fishermen. Hey, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. Somehow there's authority in that voice. Peter complies, and a miraculously huge catch results. Peter's best friend, John, recognizes it's the Lord. And Peter responds in an odd yet typical, typical combination of of respect and impulsiveness. He gets fully dressed and then plunges himself into the water. He will swim 100 yards like that to the master he can barely face but cannot tear himself away from. A fire is already burning on shore. Breakfast is already cooked. Can I mention this? There are tons of words for fire throughout the scriptures. John uses a word in this instance, charcoal fire, that is used only one other time in all of the Bible. It's used of that charcoal fire in the priest's courtyard, beside which Peter was warming his hands when he faced the heated interrogation and when he cursed and denied his Lord. I don't even know the man, damn you! Then he ran out into the night to weep. A rooster crows, and he is shamed. Now, in the brightness of dawn, Peter stands there awkwardly in front of the Jesus, the master whom he denied. Thankfully, though he's standing there sopping wet, not knowing what to say, Jesus breaks the silence. Hey, guys, come eat breakfast. Fish get counted, and everyone knows. Everyone knows instinctively. Only Jesus, only God could do all this. What kind of God, what kind of God dies on the cross for our sins, rises from the dead to conquer sin and death, shows up on the shore, gives free fishing lessons, arranges a miracle catch, cooks breakfast, and then invites us to share an intimate moment with him. What kind of God does all that to chase down a depressed fisherman 
who thinks he's been tossed overboard. If you learn nothing else from this morning, just gaze on this group photo. A circle of guys, exhausted and hungry, eating breakfast beside a lake, around this phenomenal God-man in the center, serving their plates. A God who is not ashamed to call these dudes, every single one of them who deserted him that fateful night, who's not ashamed to call them his friends. That kind of God. Whether it's fish from the sea, or breakfast for our stomach, Jesus pursues, pre- presents himself and proves himself as master of everything. It may be financial supply in these harsh economic times. It may be peace in the midst of a pandemic. It may be healing and illness. The right words to say to mend a relationship. Wisdom in a tough decision or guidance in a fog. Perfect timing of events and people that you can never manipulate yourself. Maybe it is just the simple truth of Scripture that Jesus reminds us of. If he summons us to return to his side, he will supply. When Jesus calls us to himself, he reminds us it is he alone who has the power to provide and who yet invites us to intimacy. Someone wrote, My friend boarded a plane tired from a busy week of work, hoping to get some rest during the flight home. Her seatmate began a a long-winded conversation, explaining the complexities of his work and implying, implicating, or insinuating that this woman, uh, she being a woman, uh, wouldn't understand his job. Eventually, he got around to asking her, What do you do for a living? She replied, I'm a brain surgeon. The remainder of the trip was rather quiet. (laughs) When God puts his power and provision on display, it's time for us to get quiet and to listen to whatever it is he has to say to us. In those teachable moments, Jesus can restore fallen disciples. You know, religious art focuses a lot on the the Last Supper. I wonder if Peter didn't remember a little better the last breakfast. We use NFL Super Bowl champs and Olympic gold medalists as spokesmen for Wheaties, the breakfast of champions. I think Peter is the spokesman for Miracle Fish, breakfast of failures. We see that a little further in verses 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus told him, feed my lambs. Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus told him, shepherd my sheep. Jesus said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was distressed 
that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus replied, feed my sheep. You see, Jesus wants to get past the empty stomach to the aching heart. Breakfast is over. He addresses Peter. It's rather formal, very directly. Simon, son of John. It's very intentional. He's doing gentle spiritual surgery on Peter's heart. But first he must lay bare the problem. Three consecutive times he queries, Simon, son of John, do you love me? There are times when the Bible is so beautiful, not just for what it says, but for how it says it, how it is arranged. John has intentionally arranged these cycles of three to appeal to Peter's memory and to draw him back. Recall these cycles of three. There were three select disciples, Peter, James, and John, in the garden. There were three times that Jesus walked away to pray There were three times when Jesus came back and Peter and the others were slumbering. In the courtyard, there were three denials before the cock crowed. This passage, John chapter 21, in verse 14, I think it actually says, this was now the third time when Jesus disclosed himself, I think revealed his character, not just appeared. And then in in the scriptures, in John, three times, or or in, in the scriptures, John and Matthew Three times we find this title for Peter, Simon, son of John. In their very first meeting, Simon, son of John, you're be called rock. At his great confession, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Simon, son of John, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. And now here at his restoration to Jesus, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Actually, three times. And then there are those three questions. Simon, do you love me? The threes remind Peter of his embarrassing failure, and they summon him to come back home. It is all very calculated, I think, by the Holy Spirit to reinforce a powerful lesson for you and for me. And that is this. There is forgiveness for every single one of our sins and failures. It doesn't say so directly in the text, but I think the implication is quite clear. Jesus isn't bringing back that three-denial night to rebuke Peter, but to restore Peter. He chose to show up this sunrise, not to shame or to blame him, but to reinstate him. The sin he exposes, he is willing to expunge. The wrong he reveals, he stands ready to remit. For every abject failure, there is abundant forgiveness. As that beautiful song says, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Jesus calls us back home by exposing our brokenness and amazingly forgiving it. The story is told back in the days of pre-revolutionary Russia under the czars that one of the czars had a very wayward son. He had a problem with alcohol and gambling. 
it was decided that perhaps the discipline of the military would cure him of his ethical ills. And as the military often does, he was assigned this post of all posts to keep the books of the army base on which he was assigned. His old vices got the better of him. Before long, he had run up huge gambling debts by fixing the books, risking and repeatedly losing the government's money. Late one night, he sat in the accountant's shack looking at those debts, debts he could never repay and could not cover up. He wrote in the ledger, so great a debt, who can pay? Then he took out a gun, loaded, intending to kill himself. But in his emotional and his physical exhaustion, he fell asleep. So happened that the czar, that very night, was making the rounds on that base. He saw the lights on in the accountant's shack, and he walked inside, shocked to find his own son asleep with a loaded gun in his lap. He leaned over the desk and read. He took the pen, wrote something quickly, and quietly exited. His son would wake up to find this written on the page. So great a debt, who can pay? In his father's handwriting, paid in full, Tsar Alexander III. If we wonder if God could ever forgive us, or if we can ever get back to where we once were with God, we need to look at this picture. Jesus, leaning in a bit, looking into Peter's face, but not intimidating Yet, yes, laying bare his failure, but more importantly, probing his heart. What kind of Savior, what kind of Savior shows up on shore at our door to pursue us despite what we've done? A loving Father searching to find the shack that we're hiding in. A God willing to to pay the price to win us back. Who beckons us with nail-pierced hands? who looks us in the eye and calls us back home. We can't win our way back into God's good graces. All we can and must do is put our faith in Jesus, who took our penalty and paid our debt. What other features do we notice in this photo of Jesus? We need to notice not just the content, not just the number of the questions, but the content of them. There are three Three times Jesus asks, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Twice Jesus asks Peter with the word agape. Peter, do you love me with a self-sacrificing, loyal love? Some people say that's the highest kind of love. Two times Peter will respond, yes, Lord, you know I love you with a fond, affectionate kind of love. The word is phileo. Two Greek words are different. They are used virtually interchangeably in the book of John. So we shouldn't make too much of the difference. Yet there does seem to be a point. Peter is painfully aware of his past bravado and self-confidence. Lord, all of these other guys may bail out on you, but not me. Lord, 
I'm ready to die protecting you. He recalls all too painfully his record of good intentions and pitiful follow-through. He seems unable to bring himself to declare self-sacrificing, loyal love to Jesus, whom he has failed. Whatever else is true, he absolutely, certainly will not compare his love to the others. Jesus said, do you love me more than these? Peter is in no mood to try and outshine anybody this morning. He's truly been humiliated. C.S. Lewis says, on the whole, God's love for us is a much safer subject to think about than our love for him. I picture Peter, his head lowered, his eyes staring down at the ground. He can't help but notice the scars on his master's feet. In tender love, Jesus gives him repeated opportunities. And finally, Jesus lowers the stakes, and he uses Peter's word. Peter, Are you fondly affectionate toward me? I'll take that. We can go from there. I am more willing, more than willing, to embrace your affection. Gaze a while at that snapshot. Stop and consider the immensity of this ex intimate exchange. Here you have the God of all creation, the God who knows the precise location and species of every fish in every ocean and every river, every body of water and every aquarium in the whole world. He created them. He knows them all. He can give you a running total of the fish population on the whole globe. And he sits there in resurrected, glorified flesh chasing after the affections of a small-town, fickle, failed fisherman. He's that kind of Savior. Would you do yourself a favor tonight? Go outside and gaze up in the sky. I hope it's a clear night. Right now, it's raining very horribly. But try to imagine, if you will, even through those clouds, try to imagine the creator of all the universe who created every planet, every star in all the billions of galaxies, who controls the movements of every meteor and every speck of planetary dust, who orders the universe. And yet, when he probes your heart and inquires of your affections, his heart beats faster while he waits for you to say yes. Jesus, who has known the perfect love of the Father from all eternity, wants to receive the defective pulse beats of your heart and mine. And he will search you out to find it. If you're lingering out there on the fringes, if you're loitering at a distance, if you're thinking it won't work out any better this time than the last, stop and ponder that for a while. Jesus longs for your affection, and he will caringly pursue you to receive it and revive it. When Jesus brings us back home, he persists to draw out our imperfect love, and amazingly, he receives it. Note what he 
does next with Peter. It's, again, it's in verses 15 through 17. I won't read those verses again, but you'll recall. He said to Peter after each question, If you love me, feed my little lambs, take care of my sheep, shepherd my flock. Was Peter dumbfounded to be entrusted with ministry again? He had heard Jesus call himself the good shepherd. He had watched the horrifyingly high price Jesus paid to purchase those little lambs. And now his ears hear Jesus say, he, the fake, the fickle, the flop, is entrusted with the care of such a prized flock. Not just any sheep. Jesus calls them my sheep. He is their owner, and they are his treasure. Peter must have felt he still had lake water in his ears. Jesus, are you talking to me? Me? From liar to leader? Are you kidding? Friends, what kind of Savior has grace as outrageous as that? He can take us from miserable failure to mercifully forgiven to multiplied fruit. I read of a man who falsified expense accounts and embezzled money from his employer, lots of money. The dreadful day came when he was found out. He dragged himself into his superior's office to face the music. His, best, his boss said that what he had done was inexcusable, a treacherous betrayal of the trust he had been given. In fact, he said he should absolutely fire him, and more than that, he should press charges against him. Instead, he said, I'm not. I'm giving you back your job, your office, and your responsibilities. You can continue to work, and our company will not charge you financially for the offenses you've committed. The re-enlisted worker sat there a while in stunned silence. Finally, unsure of what to say, Unsure of himself, he got up to leave. His supervisor spoke out slowly and clearly. He said, Sir, I want you to know you are the second man in our company to ever do this. I was the first. Those are two men who understand remitted debts and re-enlistment to duty. If you need to come back home, no matter how you've fallen, don't waste another day or another decade kicking yourself. Jesus is the kind of Savior who is waiting in love to wipe your record clean. He will fully reinstate you. He'll put a shepherd's staff in your hand, and he's wise enough to point out the flock that's appropriate for you to tend. When Jesus restores us, he enlists us for meaningful service and significant ministry. There's more, though. I want us to gaze at one more beautiful aspect in this portrait of Jesus. We need to read verses 18 and 19. 
After, Peter, after Jesus has told Peter, feed my sheep the third time, he then speaks to him very directly. I tell you the solemn truth. When you were young, you tied your clothes around you and you went wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will tie you up and bring you where you do not want to go. Now, Jesus said this to indicate clearly by what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. And after he said this, Jesus told Peter, follow me. On the one hand, this prediction is extremely foreboding. Jesus is telling Peter there is a cost to be paid for maintaining affection for him. The time will come when Peter, just like his master, will lay his, down his own life. Elizabeth Elliot has said, Never imagine that you can follow one who was crucified and evade the cross. And tradition tells us Peter paid a dear price for re-enlisting in love and loyalty to Christ. But listen to the other hand of this passage. More than anything, Peter has felt the humiliating sting and the shame of his own public spiritual defection. He has worn the ID tag of traitor. He can hardly imagine standing strong. Yet Jesus is saying to him, Yes, Peter, our eyes met that night. I looked at you as you wilted, defeated and deflated in the garden. That night in the courtyard. No more, Peter. Peter, look at me now. Hear me. I'm telling you, one day you're going to stretch out your hands and they're going to kill you. But you will not recant, Peter. You will stay true, devoted to me. Not disowning me, but honoring me. Rock steady to the very death. And I'll be right there with you. Peter would live three more decades with that fate hanging over him. But more importantly, three more decades with the force of that affirmation echoing, echoing in his soul. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, I won't back down. Jesus promised me so. From denier to martyr, Peter would walk away from this encounter, not kicking himself, but coaching himself, prompting himself, reminding himself to stride in the strength of that promise. What kind of Savior inspires that? Jesus, that's who. And he looks at us and he says, you keep loving me. I will see you through the hard times you'll face. If you need to come home today, doesn't it help you to know that Jesus will help you stay there, stable and steady? He will help you pay the cost of discipleship when it comes to that. When Jesus brings us back to himself, he envisions faithfulness for those who cannot even envision it in themselves. Jesus closes this very stern and yet fortifying statement to Peter with the simple command, 
follow me. He will repeat it again in just three verses. Follow me. Nothing else matters, Peter. Peter, you follow me. Follow me. Those words sound awfully familiar. They sound like the first call Peter received. In Luke chapter 5, there were two instances when Jesus appears to Peter in a miraculous fashion to help him with a miraculous catch of fish. In Luke 5, Peter goes out fishing alone. In this passage, he does. He fishes all night. They fish all night. He catches nothing. They catch nothing. There is a miracle catch when he says, go back in the deep again or cast them on the other side. And then there's this miracle haul. And then they come, Peter comes to face to face with Jesus. In Luke 5, when Jesus called him, he says, Lord, depart from me. I am a sinful man. In this passage, he says, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. In Luke 5, Jesus said, follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. In this passage, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. I'll make you a feeder of sheep. It seems that the similarities are obviously planned by Jesus to snag Peter's memory as a bookend on his experience of discipleship with Jesus, and he wants to reignite his soul. What kind of a Savior dies for a man's sin, rises from the dead, shows up at the beach, and stages this spectacular kind of deja vu precisely so he can recapture the heart of a fisherman he loves. If he'll do that for Peter, he'll do that for us. The startling repetition makes a point very crystal clear. Yes, we fall, we sin, but that need not define who we are. We have a Savior who pursues us. He wants us to know that our failures do not disqualify us from fellowship with him if we'll repent and confess. We have a Savior who probes our affections. He assures us our faltering love can satisfy his heart. We have a Savior whose purpose and power can accomplish ministry through us. People like us, our faithfulness can glorify his name. In this text, That is the photo we hold in our hands. It's the face of Jesus looking at us, fixing his eyes on yours and mine. He's holding out forgiveness. He's already paid for. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you've become, how much you've spiritually distanced, how badly you've failed, how far you've run, how flat you fail, how stubborn you've been, how stale life has become how much you've drifted away. It doesn't matter. Jesus says, come home. Jesus will come looking for you in a fog. He'll pursue you. He'll call out to you from the shoreline. Come as you are. Peter looked at that picture in person. He stood dripping, sopping wet, face to face with that kind of Savior. He came home. Will you? No matter what you've done, come home with a Savior like that. Who wouldn't? I want to transition now to a time of communion by singing a song for you, not because my voice is so great, but because these are the words of Peter. I rewrote 
words to a song that's very familiar, uh, a tune that's very familiar, different words. As we come to communion, we're going to remember the bread and the cup, the picture, the photo that Jesus gave for us. And so I sing for us now. I love you, Lord. You've forgiven me. I turned from you, but you washed me clean. Renew me, Lord, by your Spirit's power. Grant me grace to stay true to you from this hour. I love you, Lord, for you've won my heart. I'll feed your sheep. I will do my part. Oh, gracious King, I'll give you the praise. Help me follow you faithfully all my days. I love you, Lord. I extend my hands to do your will as your love commands. My life is yours, my own will denied. In all that I do, may you be glorified. Jesus paid the price to restore us to him. He said, this is my body given for you. Take it in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup. This is my blood shed for the remission of sins. As often as you take it, remember me. Close with some good words written by Peter some decades later. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him belongs the power forever. Amen. a dying man and raise him up to life again we can heal the wounded soul and make us 
white as snow What can fill the emptiness What can mend our brokenness Our brokenness Mighty, awesome, wonderful Is the Holy Cross faith in God and what reveals the Father's love what can lead the wayward home what can melt a heart of stone what can free the guilty ones what can save and overcome overcome